Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hey, I'm Sarah. When planning our home birth, my husband Matthew and I were really frustrated by the lack of empowering and honest home birth resources. So we created this podcast to start a new conversation for moms and families like us. This is Doing It at Home. Hey everyone, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. You might notice that my voice sounds a little bit different, so I just want to get this out of the way and apologize that I have a little bit of a cold as I record this, so you get my extra super sultry, sexy, sick voice. So enjoy that. (laughs) If you've listened to the show for a while, you may have gathered that we kind of have a routine of publishing a birth story at the beginning of the week, and then if we do publish another episode in the week, it's usually me and Matthew riffing on something. Um, But we switched up the schedule a little bit this week with travel and just crazy life things. We had our solo episode earlier in the week and you might have been like, where's my birth story? I need my birth story once a week, guys. Well, we got you. It's today. So today is the birth story and it's a really cool one. This is Karen's birth story. And Karen and her husband, Dadrick, are a military family. So it's another really cool perspective that we love having on the show. It's just, you know, it's a a very different lifestyle and way of of being. Um, So they bring that to the table. And the decision-making process of choosing home birth was interesting in that Karen experienced a miscarriage. And through the process of that miscarriage, it was a very medical process and one that was lacking a certain element of empathy and sympathy that she was wanting. And so to create something different when they got pregnant again, they went with home birth and found a care provider who had faith in Karen's baby and faith in Karen's body, something that was very important to them. And there's a lot of great nuggets from this episode. We talk about cholestasis, something I had never heard about before in a condition that Karen was dealing with towards the end of pregnancy. And one of my favorite things that Karen says in this interview is, let your faith be bigger than your fear. And I love that. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did talking with Karen and recording it. Here it is. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, Karen, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. How are you? What's going on with you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, we are settling into our new home after uh, another military move. Uh, we just moved from Montana to Washington State. So, you're just getting adjusted with that. Oh, that's great. So we know you have a few things going on then. You've had a few life changes. So anytime someone in your position takes time out of their day to do anything that isn't their obligations, um, I'm extremely <laughs> grateful for it. And we understand as new parents. So thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, no problem. I think it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. So much fun. So kick us off with how home birth you know, entered into your sphere or how that was something that you looked at as an option for yourself? Um, okay. So when we first, well, going back, my husband and I were actually overseas and I became pregnant over there and I was looking into just different birthing options. And at the time we would have been moving in the middle of that pregnancy. And so I was looking at the different birthing options I'd have and birth centers. And um, that was really popular. We were in um, Asia, Korea and birth centers were popular over there. Um, but unfortunately I lost that baby. And at the time when I was looking into it, I'd, I'd asked my husband at home birth and he was like, absolutely never. We're never doing anything like that. So we were kind of talked about some uh, a birthing center and um, really hadn't made a decision when I lost the baby. But in the process of losing, losing that baby, it was a very um, medical pregnancy, that pregnancy. I did everything the doctors told me to do. Um, I really didn't question anything. I just trusted the professionals. And when I lost the baby, I just can't remember that day how medical um, – even more medical, that situation became. It was very cold. We're in a cold, sterile room. One minute, we're about to hear the baby's heartbeat again, and we we're so excited. And the next minute, you know, he just got quiet and walked out of the room and then came back and then with the nurse, and they were looking, and then he was like, um, I don't see anything. And it was just such a blow. And I remember, like, he, I mean, I just remember, like, first praying like you know I was just like praying like look again praying you know mm -hmm. please God let the baby's heart start and there was nothing there and then I wanted to look again he was like it doesn't matter how many times I look the baby's not going to be there and so um we start you know he kind of did the follow-up and started talking to us about like what we needed to do so I could um because I just passed my first trimester so I had to you know I couldn't just let the baby sit in there I had to get the baby out of my body and there was never any sympathy. I remember at one point him, he was like, you know, you're young and you're strong and you will get over this. And I'll just, I really don't remember any of the rest of the conversation. I just remember that part. And I thought, how can I get over this? It's like my heart was broken. And I just never remember there ever being any emotion really or anything. It was just always like, this is the next step. This is the next step. 
Um, and so I remember feeling after that, that I never wanted to be in that situation again, where one, I just put all of my trust in other people for my care and my health, because, you know, of course, afterwards you start looking up what could have gone wrong, what happened, what, what I could have done differently. And there so there are so many factors that I just never wanted to not question again. And I also didn't want to be in a situation where, um, I was just kind of told what to do with my body because I started questioning after I lost the baby, you know, like, well, do, do we have to do this treatment? Or do we have to do that treatment? And they were, cause I had some complications afterwards and, and it was kind of in and out of the hospital, um, after I lost the baby and they were just seemed so annoyed with me. Um, this isn't for all military doctors, but a lot of them kind of get the reputation for, even though you're a civilian, they expect you to behave like your husband and just follow orders. Mm. And so, um, you know, I started asking questions and they just would seem so annoyed to me. And I was like, I just lost my child. Um, and so that, that really became like kind of the catalyst for us wanting to do um, a more natural birth at first. And then my husband was still resistant to a home birth. But then when we moved, um, we moved to Montana, which is a little, you know, crunchier and <laughs> and more open <laughs> to things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we just ended up being referred to this midwife, um, really because insurance reasons. And I knew I didn't want a doctor. That was the thing. I was like, I was so against doctors at that moment. <laughs> and um, the local hospital had such a high C-section rate. So I knew I didn't want that. And um, we were referred to this midwife and she just was, all she did was homework. And she, I just instantly fell in love with her. And I, and she just got me, she got the situation I was in because um, let me back up. So it was several months in between losing our first child and being able to get pregnant with the second one. Um, There's a lot of ups and downs with my hormones. Recovery was kind of hard. And then, um, there was like a lot of false starts and uh, we ended up going to this, you know, some specialists and all this other stuff. And we were told at the time that I wouldn't be able to carry a baby to term. And so at that point we were just so devastated and just, you know, our spirits were so crushed at this point and just come to find out the weekend of my husband's birthday, we found out I was pregnant. And at that point, we had been making like trying to figure out what our life was going to be like without children or finding an alternative route to children. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So what did it feel Um, like for you when you did get pregnant again? um, It was, I can't even, it was like really surreal, honestly, at first. I just remember like um, coming down the stairs and like just crying on the stairs and my husband was like, so does that mean he, cause I went upstairs to take the test and then I just came down and started like sat on the stairs and started crying. And so he's like, does that mean you're pregnant? Oh, he <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and I couldn't talk and I'm like, yeah. And, and it was just honestly the best feeling. But after that, it honestly was scary. I was mm-hmm. so, um, I guess traumatized by everything we had been through. I spent the first trimester just really fearful and having a good care provider is so important in a situation like that mm. because um, she just like walked me through. I remember, you know, like uh, 
I don't know if this is for every insurance, but for our insurance, we are allowed at like a certain number of ultrasounds and different things like that. And, um, a certain number of visits. And I basically, she had an open door policy. I could come in as often as I needed so she could fetal scope the baby so I could hear the heartbeat. Um, you know, just whatever. And I just one day randomly like, um, I don't know why, but I think I need to hear the heartbeat. It was so random and I felt so silly afterwards. And she was like, okay, I'm going to the office and I'm opening up. Mind you, she lived like several miles out of town, like on a farm in Montana. So so she drives in town just so I can hear my baby's heartbeat. And then I was like, okay, you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And then she like went out (laughs) because she wasn't even supposed to be in the office that day. Midwives are awesome. Wow. Midwives are awesome. They rock. (laughs) Yeah. And so she just totally got it. Oh, and um, let me tell you how we first heard our baby's heartbeat. So I told her, you know, my whole story. And she had accepted us just for care. And we went to hear our baby's heartbeat the first time at this this care provider. And um, before that, before I had even found her, I, when I had been looking for a doctor, we couldn't get into a doctor's office in that area because it was a small town until I was going to be about 17 or 18 weeks. So as a person who just lost a baby, I wanted to know right away if the baby was okay. And no one seemed concerned. This is, you know, another thing with the the medical care. It's just everybody was like, oh, well, and then I even had one doctor say, well, oh, you've lost a baby? Well, we really shouldn't even see you till 16 weeks. We'll see if this baby takes. And oh, <laughs> I was just wow. like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I, you know, so th- that's why there was a lot of fear in it because it felt like to me, every time I went to doctors, no one felt like um, I was a good candidate to have a kid. Um, I had a lot of fibroids. And so it just didn't feel like anybody had a lot of hope for my baby. It was like, okay, well, we'll see if this lasts. And I needed someone who had faith in. I, this is what I told my husband. I need someone who had faith in my baby and faith in my body and who mm, could yeah. who could deliver my baby. So we go to her office to, to listen to the ultrasound, um, um, to listen to the baby's heartbeat, rather. I tried not to do too many ultrasounds, actually. But um, we went to – we did do an ultrasound that time because she wanted to make sure if, uh, you know, the positioning of the fibroids and things like that. And so we were in there, and – she couldn't find a heartbeat and it was just like the whole situation all over again. And I just remember, um, she had all these signs on the wall and one was like, let your faith be bigger than your fear. And so I, I remember my husband and I, we just started praying like right in the middle of the exam. And I was just like, please God. And, and, and then I just started talking to my baby. I was like, I need you to breathe move, move, do something, let your heart beat. And um, so we, she was like, okay, let me just check one more time. Cause she had checked quite a few times and she checked one more time and the baby jumped. And I mean, the gas that went out in that room, then everybody in the room, of course, was crying. Oh, <laughs> and it was just like the best moment. But, um, the first trimester was kind of tough for me um, just because I was so nervous and I was really sick this, with this pregnancy, um, which what I hear is a good thing. If you're sick, it's a good thing. The first one, I wasn't sick at all. And so, you know, it didn't turn out well. Um, but we, we got through the first trimester and 
got through the second trimester and she ended up being a very active little baby in my stomach and um, everything was going really well. And then we got towards the end of pregnancy and I ended up developing cholestasis, which is like um, your liver stops being able to filter the toxins or um, filter the bile that's in it. So it kind of just releases into your body. Mm. And it is the most uncomfortable situation I've ever been in my, in my life. It's it the the toxins create like this itching in your skin and in your body because it's just really just it's um, bile just running around in your body, and so it is it gets bad. It's like um, to the point of you're itching to the point of burning, oh, wow. and. Uh, I would wake up crying. You wake up kind of like screaming a little bit because it's just so intense. And you have to like, there's really no, tr- nothing you can do for it except deliver the baby. And, um, you know, yet I was have my feet in ice for hours at a time, just trying to relieve the, the constant itching and the pain. And it was pretty horrible. But the thing for me was I was really trying to let the baby come naturally. And I didn't want to be, um, well, she's a midwife, so she's only going to do so much to induce me anyway. Right. So I didn't want to be transferred. Um, but so I kind of like uh, didn't tell her what was going on until it got really intense. And then she called me in right away and was and wanted to transfer me, of course. And we ended up getting, um, when we went to the emergency room, I don't know why, uh, but we got a doctor who was willing to, released me from the emergency room and kicked me back to my, my midwife. And, um, I think that really has a lot to do actually with being your own advocate, because I remember at that point I was 40 weeks already. So with cholestasis, they'll deliver your baby, especially if you are around 36 weeks. Um, but when you're so far along and you develop it, it's kind of like, well, the risk isn't as high. I mean, the, you know, the baby's coming any day anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I just kept, you know, they were talking about C-sections and at least in, induction and all these other things. And I was just like, just let me try. Let me try. Let me try to get this baby out. And so, you know, we're walking and stairs for hours at a time. <laughs> and we were just doing, just doing everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, like forcing my husband to have sex. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, sure he was really upset about that. <laughs> and poor, uh, poor guy. Pineapples. I mean, everything. We couldn't. There was nothing. And I hate spicy food. And I was like chowing down on spicy food. Yeah. Um, and so what? Um, eventually, my midwife swept my mem- membranes, and um. I started having contractions at that point, but they eventually stalled. And uh, and I don't know if you can hear her in the background. She's, we hear her saying hello. Hi. Yeah, we're trying to keep her because she gets she's discovered she can talk now, and uh-huh. she like has figured out her voice, and she just gets so talkative. She loves oh, it. Yeah. She loves talking. Yeah, you gotta take it take it for a test drive. Well, why don't we give her yes. a second to talk it out, and we'll take a quick break right now, and when we come back, maybe she will have talked it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Hello, D-I-A-H mamas. Sarah here. Matthew and I just launched our latest production together, the Balanced Mama Moment audio series. Who is this for? Any mom looking for more balance in her life and she's ready to start putting some conscious, powerful, loving, healing energy into herself. This is a guided audio experience of 20 tracks covering everything from how to make a balanced mama moment to body image, sex after motherhood, balance in your relationship, and so much more. We made this for moms just like you and me. So go to sarahbivens.com and click Balanced Mama to learn more and to sign up because we don't think twice about investing in our kiddos. So let's take a moment to give back to ourselves. So go sarahbivens.com and click on Balanced Mama. Okay, so we're back into um, our kind of induction process and working baby out and we swept the membranes and then, you know, what, what was going on then and, you know, contractions and things slowed down a little bit. I actually, I want to jump in real quick and I just want to say, Karen, I want to, I want to say thank you Uh, because, you know, we spoke very briefly before we hit record and I know you and Sarah exchanged some emails back and forth. So, you know, it's not like, not like we had this long history together, but, as soon as we started recording, you just really opened up in such a an honest, authentic, vulnerable way. And just from the get-go, I mean, your story is moving. It's, it's powerful. And I want to say thank you for that because, you know, there are so many people out there who are, I know, like up until this moment, have just been so inspired and encouraged by, by your strength and you know, your ability to, to flow with the circumstance and make the best out of everything that was thrown your way. And so thank you for sharing the way you have so far. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm, I'm hoping someone else will, you know, be encouraged because I know I felt so alone during some of these moments. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually kind of how I found your podcast because I kept thinking, because people think you're so crazy when you decide to do a home birth. <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> my family spent the whole time trying to convince me not to do one. And then, um, but they were, they were supportive in that they were going to completely be there. But the entire time they were so nervous, they just kept asking questions. And um, I'll get, it's funny because you don't realize how medical you're, our healthcare is because my mom, we used to always talk about, Oh, I had you guys natural and all this other stuff, but she really just had us um, unmedicated. But she was like, well, how is your, how's your midwife going to perform an episiotomy? And I'm like, well, why does she need to? Mm. And she's like, mm. aren't you supposed to like, you know, it was like all these medical things that she just thought you have to do to yeah. have a baby. Yeah. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. 
Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Um, but yeah, so I guess we are at the, they were wanted to induce me and my midwife, uh, slept my mid membranes and, uh, I'm trying to remember. I know it was like a couple days before and it kind of started labor a little bit. Um, but then it stalled. And so, um, at this point I'm still itching and we're at, we're at, um, I guess I was three days past my due date at this point and it just was three days of intense itching and pain and my husband rubbing me down with ice and it was just so much and um finally she called me and she was like I can't wait for you to have this baby because I don't want to put the baby at risk um so she put a fully um bulb in me uh, which kind of like opens up your cervix some. What's it called again? I think it's called a foley ball or or bulb. It's mm, like a little balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yep. Yeah, I think we've had a few moms talk about that. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it like opens your cervix up a couple uh, centimeters to get you started, like and kicks things into gear. And so when she did that, I mean, the contractions really just hit at that point. And so um, I really kind of started active labor not too long after that, I think, um, because the contractions were so bad. And um, to the point, I started to to vomit and stuff. Mm. And so I was in labor for, I don't know, probably about six or seven hours and she came over and, you know, started getting things set up. And of course it stalled again. And so we decided that I would go to bed that night and get to rest. Cause at this point it's about nine o'clock at night or so. And, um, get some rest and we would just start this again in the morning. Um, and so, uh, I went to bed and I think it was five that morning. We, I got up at five that morning and I had to use the restroom and I just remember um, I was laying in bed and I thought, I think my water is going to break. <laughs> <laughs> and I stood up and my water broke. <laughs> oh, wow. You just knew. <laughs> yeah. I And um, so then by this time, my parents had, had come to um, my house and they made their way uh, from Washington State. They're also military, so they'd retired there. And um, they made my, their way to Montana from Washington. And so my mom and dad are just like, what do we do? You know, because go figure, my mom's water never broke. Uh. Like, you know. <laughs> so uh, the military doctors are just always taking care of it for her. So I'm like, call the midwife. And, you know, and they're scrambling around and all this other stuff. And, um, and so my midwife gets there and by the time she gets there, I'm, you know, like really in labor and just, but it, it actually wasn't, you know, once we got them busy, it really wasn't um, scary. I just, you know, started doing my pacing and my husband started giving me massages and I had my playlist going. 
Um, and we put my birth affirmations all around the house. Like I decided just to use my whole house so we didn't have a room. And What did you um, write them on? Like, can you describe kind of your affirmations and, and what you did with actually, them? Actually, yeah. Um, my husband is like an amateur photographer and he's taken pictures from, you know, all these travels from around the world. We've, you know, been to Europe, several places. And um, our last trip before we got pregnant was Greece. And so there's some absolutely gorgeous shots of the water and, um, and of Korea and Asia and just different places. And so I took his photography of really beautiful Phoenix shots and um, put a lot of Bible verses on them and um, just, you know, things to really encourage myself, um, you know, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Um, um, one thought that came to me when I was journaling was, you know, uh, tonight you both will be born your baby into the world and you into motherhood. And so That's that was like awesome. my favorite one. I kept looking at that. And um, it, my husband actually has this picture of this, like um, from like a, the slave ports. There's a, they made a, a cast iron image of an African woman in chains and the chains are broken and she's pregnant. Mm. And so I love that that picture because so that's when I put the born into motherhood on because to me it was like me breaking away from like the pain of our past baby and me being strong as a mother and just you know she looks like she's about to walk into the sunset and it's just like me walking into you know walking into motherhood walking in, like even though I'm afraid I have to be strong for the baby and um so we had just had several all around the house and I just loved looking at them because one, I love my husband's photography. I mean, all the art in our house is his photography. That's so cool. And, yeah. And, and I wanted something that was like him, you know, and I just knew that when I was in labor, I'd want, I'd want him. I wouldn't really want other people dealing with me. And that actually ended up kind of being true. I just, and it was funny because I actually didn't want him to touch me. <laughs> I just wanted him there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, uh, only he was only allowed to touch me when I wanted like him to like massage my back or anything. And even then, I didn't want that a lot. I just wanted him present. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty long labor, um, and it all kind of blurs into each other now. But I. I remember we started off downstairs and me pacing and it was probably about seven in the morning at this time. And eventually I was like, I'm so tired. I need to go take a rest. And so I went and laid down and I was having contractions throughout my nap. And so I would, um, and it was like every three to five minutes and I would be asleep. And in my sleep, I would breathe my way through my contractions. Um, wow. and That's I didn't, really cool. I didn't take any of the classes or anything I meant to, I just never did. <laughs> hey, we get it. Yeah. We, we meant to do a couple of things as well. <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> but it was, I think this was one of the moments I really kind of fell in love with my body because it was almost like you get this internal coach. Somehow I knew, I knew enough that I had read enough that I knew I needed to stay calm. I needed to trust my body and, 
it was like this inner voice that would say, okay, you have a contraction coming. Breathe, 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 and then hit the peak. And then be like, breathe out. Come on, keep breathing. You know, and it was this voice just talking in my head. And um, my image kind of became a mountain. I love mountains. And it really, they felt like mountains. You know, they get, they increase, you get to the peak of the contraction, and then you go down the other side. And, and so I would just, you know, I kept going up my mountain and down my mountain. And I'm not going to say you don't need those classes because somebody else would, but your body is like absolutely amazing. Like it is designed for this. And um, so I really just didn't need anybody. And my midwife and doula were absolutely amazing. I didn't really need them to tell me what to do. I kind of just, everybody just followed my lead. I, I, I knew when, um, I needed water and I would just say, bring me water and they would do that. And then they got to a point where I was like, everyone needs to stop talking. <laughs> and for the most part, people listened. And, um, and then at one point I just kicked everybody out of our bedroom and it was just my husband and I, mm. and, um, and I just slept and labored and slept and labored. And, uh, at this point, we rolled, we had rolled into the next day, like, and, um, eventually my midwife came back to check on me. And when she came back, I was five centimeters. And, um, I remember feeling a little discouraged at that point because it had been so long at this point. It yeah. felt like, um, but she went ahead and let me get into the pool. We had a, a birthing pool in, in our dining room. And we got into the pool, and that water is just so amazing. Mm -hmm. and, um, I labored in there for a couple hours, and I labored in there for a couple hours, and then just shot up up the scale. Um, I jumped to eight centimeters pretty quickly, and then um, I had her stop checking me at that point. We just she was like all feeling your face ready and um I can remember my sister uh she works in the medical profession but she lives across country and she really wanted to be at the birth but couldn't be there and um convinced my mom to put her on FaceTime and, <laughs> that's awesome yeah and so I can remember being like in the pool but my mom you know being a mother doesn't really fully understand technology. So she has my sister on FaceTime. <laughs> and, but she's describing everything. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> and so it, it sounded like a baseball game. It's like, yeah. okay, here, here, here's another contraction. It's coming around the bin. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's another contraction. Here she goes. Here she goes. Okay. Oh, she did it. She did it. She got through that contraction. And I'm like, like in the, like, I'm in the thick of it. Right. So I can't even talk at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. There are things, especially in retrospect, when you look back, you're like, that was annoying. And you're like, but I didn't have any ability to stop it. At no that ability. Yeah. And like in my head, I'm like, Oh my gosh, mom, for the love of God, please be quiet. <laughs> but I couldn't get it out. <laughs> And it's funny because later on, my sister like was like, I kept texting mom like, "Be quiet! You don't yeah. have to describe <laughs> Facetime to me." <laughs> um, and so, 
And then my my dad was in the other room at this point um, because they'd come to visit, so they were staying at my house. And so my dad is in the other room, and I hear him, like, answering the phone, like, hey, how you doing? All this sort of stuff. And all of, I just remember, like, I thought I yelled at everybody, and my husband says I was just like, yeah. <laughs> but I felt like I, like, yelled at everybody, like, to be quiet. And he was like, no, you can barely speak. <laughs> But he like he went and corralled everybody and was like, Okay, everybody be quiet, you know, and phones off, which I had told them before, but I don't know why. I think people think that because you're like in the zone, you can't hear. Right. And you can completely hear. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like I'm not paying attention, but I'm I can I heard everything around me. Mm-hmm. And I even remember at one point I was asleep in the pool and my mom was like is she sleeping during labor? And then his wife's like, yep, yep, that's normal. <laughs> well, she was sleeping until yeah, right. you said that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, uh, so we're always like, yeah, um, Nana doesn't get an invite to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> you have to face like her, her job is to keep the baby. <laughs> she can keep the Deborah, our, yeah. our baby. <laughs> Man. So then what but, what was it like? What was the energy in the room like as it was getting closer to to crowning and, and Deborah's arrival? What was that? It was honestly, it was, you know, despite like the little bit of talking, it was awesome. My mm-hmm. husband, we were in my dining room and my husband had set up like these uh, blue Christmas lights. Mm. And so the, it, it was, it was giving this beautiful blue um, lighting off of it and all the windows were closed. And so it was kind of dark in there and I had um, some music playing and it was a lot of um, spiritual songs, a lot of Christian songs. Um, and, it was very calm because I'd asked at that point that no one speak. And, and so there was really no talking and I could feel people around. The only time um, someone really spoke was when my doula, um, it was the contractions at this point were getting extremely intense. And so every now and then if I, I lost my pattern because I was getting, I was doing pretty good about um, breathing through each contraction, but sometimes, you know, they hit you pretty hard and you lose your pattern. And so then she would just be like, you know, get me refocused. No, don't tense up, breathe. You can do this. Mm-hmm. You're strong. You've made it this far. And, and that was really helpful because I felt like she was very good at knowing when she needed to speak and when I just needed to gather myself and I was okay. And when I was like kind of falling off, um, you know, like my, I don't know, my mountain of calm kind of <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, I labored in the pool and then my midwife pulled me out to check me, but I was crowning at that moment. So I actually didn't get to give birth in the pool, which is what I wanted, but it was kind of like um, too late for me to, to really get back in and, and get situated and get the water warm enough and all of that. So we just went ahead and, and I pushed her out on our couch. Actually, Um. Actually, I was on my back, which is surprising. I really had not planned to be on my back. And um, I was on my back and, well, I was on my back, but I was kind of like um, up in a halfway seated position, I guess you would say. Got it, okay. And um, my husband was like kind of supporting my back and um, 
I don't even know how many pushes. I know I pushed for probably about 30 minutes because I remember looking at the clock when I got out and it was 8.45. I just remember saying, God, please can be born by 9, 9.15 because I'm so tired. Like at this point, I was just, I was so done. I was mm-hmm. so tired. Um, I had planned all these snacks and I laid all these snacks and everything. And I really didn't eat any of my snacks. My husband had me uh, drink Gatorade and water, but I really just wasn't able to eat anything. So at this point, I'm just tired. And I think that's the thing. Um, I don't know if there was ever a point where labor became like, I never was like, I can't do this. But I just remember getting to the point where I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. right. I'm just... I'm done. I'm tired. And, um, so I was so happy to push. <laughs> and, uh, th- uh, that was, that was probably the worst part was the pushing the ring of fire like mm-hmm. that. It for real. Yeah. It's so real. <laughs> I don't know. People keep talking about, you'll forget it. I remember it and it was real. <laughs> <laughs> That's why birth is different and beautiful and unique for everyone. Yes. <laughs> But everything up until then, I felt like was, I mean, I don't remember really evaluating it, but afterwards I remember like it was completely doable. And I do remember thinking like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. Oh my gosh, that contraction was so hard. I can't believe I'm doing this. That's so cool. (laughs) And um, so when we pushed the baby out and I forgot to tell you guys this, I didn't know the gender of my baby. Okay. That's awesome. Um, because I'd lost the first baby, I kind of for a while separated myself. Like I just wanted to make sure the baby lived and took care. So I didn't want to know the gender. I didn't want to know anything that I didn't need to know. I just wanted to make it to the end and then I could get attached. And so, um, we, so I was excited and I'd actually been calling my daughter a boy the whole time. So the whole not getting a tap thing doesn't actually work. because <laughs> <Yeah. it's> like, <laughs> Nice effort. You feel the baby kick, you're a tap. So I was talking and everything. And it's funny because when I first found out I was pregnant, I went to the BX, which is like our store on base. And they had this pink bedding set. And I was like, I'm going to buy it as a sign of faith. Like this baby's going to live and it's going to use this bedding. But then somewhere along the way, um, actually, we went to down south. I'm from originally from the south, and everybody was doing their little predictions of the baby and spinning the coin in front of my stomach and all this stuff. And it kept coming out, boy. So then I was like, okay, I guess it's a boy. And so I believed it was a boy for the rest of the pregnancy. And when I felt her kick for the first time, and she was so active, you know, then everybody was like, Oh, it's a boy. It's a boy. It's going to be a football player and all this. Other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and so I started calling her him the whole pregnancy. Uh, and uh, so when we, when I had her, well, we're pushing and I remember them saying, you're such a good pusher because it hurts. So, well, I can't say it hurts. See, that's like such a, we don't have good vocabulary for birth in this this country. Mm-hmm. Um, it was intense. I guess that yeah. is the best word for it. Intense. Yeah. But it was, I was so focused, but I remember thinking like, especially at the ring of fire, like I'm not doing this more than I have to. So I was trying not to do any like weak pushes. And so I was like, really like, you know, every time my body was like push, I was going for it. I was really bearing down. And the thing is, 
my midwife, once again, was awesome because it really wasn't her telling me to push. She was just like, anytime your body feels push, I just want you to bear down. And, um, and your body literally does like, it would just like reel me up and I would just have to push. Like you can't help it. So it's always interesting when I hear people say, Oh, the doctor said not to push. I'm like, I don't even know how that's physically possible because (laughs) I wasn't controlling it. And I would tell them I have to push now. And they're like, go for it. And you know, so, um, I, but the last one, they're like, okay. Um, and I was pushing down. They're like, you're doing great. And I was like, I'm done. So I'm like pushing really hard. Mm-hmm. And all I remember is this black little head, cause she had so much hair, just shoot out. <laughs> 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 she comes flying out. And my, uh, my midwife actually had to do like a two hand ca- uh, catch, <laughs> like mm-hmm. almost like a football. She was like, Oh, and grabbed her. And, um, and it was so funny because the baby was so stunned because she like literally just shot out. I think I pushed too hard on that one. And, um, and that was kind of an intense moment because they um, had to get her some oxygen and we were like really rubbing her kind of hard to get her to, to suck in air. And she was like kind of just dazed and confused at first. Uh, but then of course she let out her cry and, it was like, you know, that moment we first heard, saw her jump in the womb and saw the, the heartbeat. It was just this gasp in the room and tears mm. were everywhere again. And um, she she was just loves giving us scares. She's like, I'll do things on my own time. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just like the best thing to hear that little cry. And she didn't have a big one. It was just this little teeny tiny cry. And they put her on my chest and we, we kept the um, placenta attached. And, um, I just, I, I, I feel like I keep talking about how great my midwife is, but she's awesome. And like, we're friends even now, so. <laughs> um, but she knew I wanted my husband to tell me the gender. And so even as she's pulling, you know, the, got the baby and trying to get the baby to, to breathe and rubbing the baby, she has enough thought to cover up the baby. So no one else can see the gender. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, and it was so funny because um, my mom is still on FaceTime, which I didn't know at this time. <laughs> still on FaceTime with my sister and my niece, which I didn't know that. <laughs> so when the baby came out, all of a sudden I hear this from the phone because mm. <laughs> my niece and my sister had been watching the whole thing. <laughs> so it sounded like a football game. And, um, and so my mom is like trying to look and see the gender, but she'd cover it up and wouldn't let her like really see anything. And um, they put her on my chest and my husband was able to tell me that we had a little girl. And I was just like, I, you know, I wasn't disappointed or upset or anything, but even though I'd been calling her a boy the whole time, I was just so happy that she was healthy. And it was kind of like, I originally knew it, you know, you yeah. saw it with your first mind. I knew it was a girl in the beginning and I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. And so it just felt like I've known you since the day you were conceived. I've known, mm-hmm. I knew you. And, um, we named her Deborah Jael and it's a biblical name. And Deborah was a, a judge in the Bible. And you know, a woman of wisdom, but Jael is in the same story. The woman who ends up saving Israel by mm. killing the general of the enemy army. And I wanted her to be very strong. Mm. And 
um, I felt like she had to be strong because I had so many fibroids during the pregnancy that it was kind of like a fight between her and the fibroids of who was going to get the blood supply. Wow. And um, and that's one part I forgot to tell you. Is like So about probably the halfway point, I ended up having to go into the emergency room because we I was in so much pain. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going into labor early or what's happening. And what ended up actually happening is she was stealing the blood supply from the fibroids and they were dying. Mm. And, and so I was just like, you know, to me, it was just like another example of like, she's totally going to be like a warrior woman because yeah. she was yeah. like, no, I'm going to live. And, he, and there was like a lot, I, I don't even know the number of the fibroids. So there was, she had like the odds against her and they were pretty big. And, you know, she was like, Nope, I'm, I'm going to be the one that survived. And, and so, wow. Um, I feel like her name is very fitting because she is already quite feisty. <laughs> and I'm sure you can hear her in the background. I keep putting her binky in her mouth and she's like spitting out like, no, it's she's talking like, nope. time. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to express. I'm going to. Yes. You know, I think she about. Likes to let people know. <laughs> yeah. I, I think about that. That connection is what really comes up for me when I think about the whole story and its totality and is still going, obviously, as you continue your relationship with Deborah. But from from that moment of, you know, the sonogram or the ultrasound where, you know, she she cut the silence in the room by by making herself known by making the movement and then from there i can just imagine all the conversations you two have had and all the ways that you've been able to to connect and grow together as this mommy daughter unit um that's really powerful it i mean honestly i i just like my favorite time of the day is just staring into her eyes um when i'm nursing she, I don't know why she loves looking into my face while she nurses and, and we just like kind of sit there and look at each other. And I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like I just know her and she knows me and I feel like we communicate. It doesn't feel like, you know, feel like I'm home alone all day. And I, I stay at home with her right now and they'll say, Oh, I'm home alone all day and I don't have anybody to talk to. And I'm like, I talk to my baby all the time. Like, I feel like she talks back. <laughs> yeah, she's communicating. <laughs> yes, and um, she's just such a, I mean, of course she's a person, but it's just always shocking me that she's such a little person, and I feel like she's such an old soul. Um, and I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so madly in love with her. Uh, mm-hmm. She's just, she's just so awesome. But I'm just like, so excited to see you who she'll become because I feel like she's just going to be like this awesome woman. She's just going to be so powerful. So well, she yeah. has a very powerful like, mommy. I say like her mama who, who yeah. fought, you know, you were your own advocate. You've, you fought for what you wanted against all the contradictions and the odds and the differing feedback you were getting from different medical professionals on, on what to think about your own body. You know, you transcended that and you created the space to then pass that on to her. So, heck yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's but it. Was, it was just awesome. I, I loved every, I mean, I don't know, loved, loved the ring of fire. Right. I loved, <laughs> I loved, I loved giving birth at home. And honestly, if I can do it again, I will. And you know, the, the interesting thing is we actually live in base housing. So uh, people always ask, well, are you even allowed to give birth on 
on oh, you know on base yeah because it's it's like government housing yeah that's i mean that's a fair but, question i wouldn't have even thought about that and it's kind of like this gray area so it's so <laughs> funny because before that my midwife actually got stopped at the gate and they were like we're not even allowed sure if we're allowed to let you on but she was she was delivering another uh military spouse's baby and she was like, well, you guys need to let me on and deliver this baby. You guys can figure out the legal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, they never really came up with an answer. They didn't know because um, for all intents and purposes, we're, you know, allowed to do for the most part, anything you can do in a private setting. And a lot of housing is privatized now. So we were in our uh, renting a house anywhere else. They can't really stop you from utilizing that house to the fullest. And so, they kind of just like let it go. And so I don't even really know the answer. I, but I know ironically military insurance covers it. So <laughs> oh, hey, okay. so Very cool. we're like, Hey, so it must be okay. But, um, I know that's like a big thing for a lot of military spouses. When I tell them I had the baby at home, they're like, can you do it? And I'm like, well, I did it. And I think at the pretty much the general rule is if it's legal in your state, it's legal mm, right. on the base. That makes sense. And, um, so Montana is, is definitely illegal. And I don't know if it's, well, I guess it might be in some states. I think Alabama or something I've heard from other people that you can't have a baby at home. Yeah, there have been some changes, um, particularly in Alabama, we've talked about on the show, um, to where you can now have a midwife present. Um, but th- there are some laws with, it differs and yeah. it varies, which is an interesting thing. But yeah. 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 Um, Karen, thank you so much. I mean, gosh, this is quite the journey that we've somehow been able to like pack into less than an hour, yet I'm sure there could be books and volumes on everything that you've yeah. you've gone into. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it really is. And you're you're so inspiring and your your outlook and your just what I feel like you've you've taken from your experience and now this ability to share it with others is just awesome and we're we're so honored that we could be a part of that and we could be a, a part of sharing your story so thanks for trusting us and, and allowing us to be in the space with you and um just i'm so excited for you and in this new part of your journey well thank you i mean thank you for creating the space i think um your podcast has been such a great resource and on so much i mean you're postpartum stuff has been like spot on (laughs) like there's so much you don't know about pregnancy and birth and um there's so many things that go into it so i'm just happy that you guys created this space for people to become informed absolutely yeah yeah uh, well, give our love. All right, we hear you. We hear you, little one. <laughs> like, it's my she's turn. She's actually like across the room. She's just loud. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, give her kisses for us, and um, just thanks again. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.